1 Peter chapter 3. I will read and get right into the Word today. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, thank you for coming. We're so honored that you're here with us, and we pray that you have felt welcomed and loved by all, but most importantly, that you felt the presence of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Glad to have my mother-in-law here, and uh, thank you, Ma, for coming, and we're believing for a miracle. She's here to have an appointment for her eyes, and saw Joanna, but she, I think, stepped out, but my niece is here. Glad she's here. Amen. I know some are traveling already for the holiday, and some may be traveling, but and some have traveled in for the holiday, and we're just so glad for all of you, and for all of you, those of you that are home today from TCOO and you're sick, we're praying for you, we love you, and we're believing God to touch you right now in Jesus' name. I don't want to start naming names because I'll forget, and I don't want anybody to feel like I forgot them, but I've, I've received your text messages and seen and heard, and I am praying for you, as is the body of Christ. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for the sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Everybody say once. He suffered once for all. Amen. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Amen. The grave couldn't hold him. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God, notice this, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. We, we are saved through, uh, uh, you know, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And with the help of the Lord... I'm going to preach on this subject for just a few minutes. Get on the ark. Jesus is coming. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is forever settled in heaven, and it is true. It is superior. It is superlative. It is supreme. Now I pray in the name of Jesus that you would guide my words and guide what I'm going to say. Let my tongue be the pen of a ready writer and inscribe your words upon our heart. Let the living word preach the written word. We ask it. Let me walk, Lord Jesus, in your spirit and not in my flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Hallelujah. Noah is an interesting study in the Scripture. This account of Noah takes place in the book of Genesis. And you can find that therein, that the wickedness of man is so great and so continual that it fills the earth, and that the thoughts of the hearts of men and women were over only evil continually. What a sad, sad day it must have been for God to look down upon His creation and observe this rampant wickedness across the world. And yet, it was in that moment that we read that the Lord looked down and Noah 
found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, it was so evil. It was so wicked. It was such a debauched society that the Bible says it repented the Lord that he made man on earth. And it grieved him in his heart. When I read things like that, I don't want to be that person that grieves the Lord. That causes him to feel that he shouldn't have saved me in the first place. He said, verse 7, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth. And then verse eight, 6 verse 8 is, is the verse I re- mentioned a moment ago. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And here's the image I have of Noah. Maybe he's gone out into a field somewhere. Maybe he's ascended to a cliff or a ridge or maybe even a mountain. He's himself overwhelmed by society, by the wickedness that is going on. And I can see Noah lifting his hands, looking upward. Oh God, I've heard the stories. I've talked to all the great patriarchs. I've heard how Adam walked with you in the cool of the day. I've talked with Seth. I've communed with some of these others and heard some of their stories. And God, I want so bad there to be some sort of reconciliation and some sort of returning to you. Oh God, what do I do? I can see Noah lifting his voice and lifting his hands to God. And it's in that moment that God is looking down that Noah is looking up. Can I tell you, all this world really needs is for somebody to just say, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but if you can use me, if I can be a conduit that can bring righteousness to my community, to my school, to my job, then use me. Hallelujah. So God begins to tell Noah how to build this ark. He's he's got to prepare it a certain way. It's it's a certain length. It's a certain height. It's got to be three levels. There's one door. You're going to put a window in it. You're going to pitch it within and without. And God gives specifics to Noah. I've often wondered, was somebody else trying to build one too? Did somebody else maybe believe that, well, Noah might be right, but I don't like his ark. He's made it out of gopher wood. I'm going to make mine out of cedar. I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate and add to the scripture. But, but I do have to wonder some of these things because what we can understand about such scriptures is that Noah preached righteousness for 120 years. Sadly and unfortunately, only eight souls got on that ark. I've been on a life-size replica of the ark in Kentucky. If you ever get a chance to go to the ark encounter, I strongly encourage it. It's a great trip and there's a creation museum you can go to as well there in Lexington, Kentucky, but I've been inside an ark and I can tell you that eight souls that was there was a lot more people could have got on than eight people with all the animals, with all the food. And here's what I have to wonder. As Noah begins to build this, How did it all go down? I mean, Shannon, can you imagine if I've come to the church for a prayer meeting and I come home and say, okay, babe, God's got a plan. Now, here's the plan. Um, On the 
front lawn of the church out there, I'm going to start building an ark. It's never rained, I know. We have never seen water come out of the sky or from the earth, but just trust me, I've been praying. You know, not, not much is said of Noah's wife. Uh, unlike Job, she didn't tell him to curse God and die. And Job's wife, and you know, unlike Eve, she didn't try to get him to eat the forbidden fruit. And so we can assume she might have had some sense of trust in his communion with the Lord. Okay, if that's what God says, honey. And, and the boys, he, he brings them together, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Hey, guys, God's told me this. And their wives, okay. Well, it's kind of weird, but okay, Dad. But here's... Here's something I don't know that any of us has ever considered. If you read the genealogy, I know those are the boring parts of the Bible. I get it. He begat, he begat, he begat. It's like, oh, okay, woo. And, and especially those names. I was talking to someone this morning. Those names can be so long sometimes and weird. How do you pronounce them, okay? You know, just a bunch of people. There you go. Just. But it tells us that Noah had other, his, his dad had other children. They died in the flood. They didn't get on the ark. His three sons were married to three wives. That means they had a mom and a dad. They possibly had siblings that didn't get on the ark. Noah's wife had a mom and a dad and possibly siblings. There was probably nieces and nephews. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And every day, they're putting the ark together. They're working And Noah's taking time to preach righteousness. Hear me, I know it sounds crazy. I know water's never come out of the sky before. I know the fountains have never erupted before. But hear me, God's going to judge the earth. And this is the only way to be saved. Maybe there was somebody that said, well, that's pretty exclusive. What if I build a boat? What if I climb to a high mountain? That mountain over there is the highest peak in our region. Maybe if I get up there, it'll be okay. Why do you think your God is right? Hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth from the literal account to some things that, that we're going to face today when we tell people Jesus is coming. Oh, really? Yeah, sure. Even Peter talks about us, how that they scoffed and they mocked. And where is the promise of his coming? It's it's all in there, folks. Jesus refers to the account of Noah, how that it was in the days of Noah. He even says that until the very day that the flood came, they were given in marriage, partying and doing all that they were doing. I can see Noah as it's winding down. God's told him to get on the ark, but the door's still open. It was open for seven days. And I can see Noah standing right at the threshold of that door. There's still time. It hasn't started yet, but it will. We got room. We got plenty of food. People are walking by. Noah, you've been preaching this for 120 years. Would you please just shut up? But, but you don't understand. God told us a few days ago to get on the ark. And any day now, he's going to shut this door. And Oh, what then, Noah? The flood's coming. Do you want to be saved? I can't imagine preaching 
and nobody wanting to be saved. Can you imagine if today I had the cure to every cancer and, and I'm holding it and, and, and it's, it's in this bottle of water and all you got to do is drink this and you'll never have cancer? Who wouldn't want to get these bottles of water? Do you have family? Do you have friends? Do you have loved ones that, that have cancer? You'd want them to get it, right? But nobody wanted it except his wife, his sons, and their wives. And the day came. When God finally shut that door. And hear me, when God opens the door, there is nobody that can shut it. We know that from Revelation 3. But when God closes the door, there is nobody that can open it. And I have to wonder, Pastor, as he walked away from that threshold, and all of a sudden he could hear the fountains beginning to erupt. And, and the water coming down from the sky. Oh, God! The screams of the people who might have been nearby, those who were trying to get to high ground. The Bible says that the, that the flood waters covered the, the highest mountains by 18 cubits. That's a whole lot of feet. That's a whole lot of uh, coverage of water. They could get to the highest place, but they're not going to be saved. As I begin to look at all of this, and I begin to see how Jesus compared the ark and how... Uh, uh, Peter even talks about it in his second epistle. Something dawned on me. He gave him specifics to the ark. Can I tell you, we have specifics about salvation. You must be born again. There's no middle ground. There's, you can't give enough money to buy yourself out of the new birth. Everybody, no matter their age, no matter their ethnicity, everybody must be born of the water and of the Spirit. That's our ark today. That's our safety net. That's our salvation. And I've come to this pulpit today to preach. It's time to get on the ark. It's time to get saved. Because Jesus is coming. There were specifics. It had to have the gopher wood. You couldn't use any other type of wood. It had to be pitched within and without. And if you look up that word pitch, it actually means atonement. Let me tell you something. You've got to be atoned inwardly and you've got to be atoned outwardly. God is coming for a bride who has made herself ready inwardly and outwardly. Who is ready and eagerly waiting for the coming of the Lord. I want you to Everybody just kind of turn left, turn right, turn around, look behind you. And I, don't, I don't know the number of people here today. I haven't seen the, the list yet. But can you imagine if only eight of us got saved? There was a lot more people than this living on earth during Noah's time. But there was only one way to be saved. There was only one door. Isn't it interesting then that Jesus says, I am the door to the sheepfold? Isn't it further interesting that Jesus one day when he was asked, Lord, show us the way. How do we know? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We know the way. It's through him. It's through his blood. That's the way to be saved. Get on the ark. The flood is coming. Get saved. 
Jesus is coming. Oh, God. In our text today, verse 18, 1 Peter 3, 18, he mentions, I'm sorry, verse 20, he mentions when once the long-suffering of God, I want you to hold that thought and go to 2 Peter chapter 3 with me, beginning at verse number 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. That's a willful ignorance. That means they, they know that they're doing wrong, but they're still doing it anyway. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. That means creation. But then he referenced the flood. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's, he's now referencing the flood, Noah, that, that experience in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The flood destroyed all flesh on earth. It was not a regional flood. It was a global flood. Every mountain was covered. The Bible says that the water from the whole heaven came down upon earth. How many of you have seen an, a, a globe, right? Well, where's the whole heaven? It's anywhere from your perspective. Right now, if we looked up, if we were outside, that's the whole heaven. But somebody in Australia could do the same thing. That's the whole heaven. In other words, it was a global catastrophe. However, this time, it's not a flood of water but a flood of the wrath of God, the fire of the wrath of God that is coming. Verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. What that really just means is God is timeless. And, and in his long suffering, it, it's no more than a couple of days for him. It's, it could be thousands of years for us, but for God, it's, he's timeless. But watch verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. We sometimes quote that verse. We quote it alone, and that's okay. But the context is dealing with the long-suffering of God. He let Noah preach for 120 years to try to get more people on the ark. Can I tell you, if there's any tearing of the Holy Spirit of his coming back, it's so that more people can be saved and born again as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Can I stand here today and declare to you, God wants to save people. He wants to save alcoholics. He wants to save drug addicts. He wants to save pedophiles. He wants to save everybody. And he's long-suffering to do so. We have this image of God ready to just get a lightning bolt. and No. Even in the Old Testament, the account of the ark, there's mercy. The ark, that's mercy. An opportunity to get on, that's mercy. It's in the Old Testament that we read that God delights in mercy. It's in the Old Testament we read that He will not retain His anger forever. 
it's in the Old Testament that his compassions fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, Lamentation says. And so God is reaching. Have you ever read Revelation where it says, I gave Jezebel a space to repent? If God gave that wicked, evil person who brought in idolatry and adultery to Israel and allowed her an opportunity, a space of grace, then we see the mercy of God. Verse 10, back in 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I like it when Paul uses this reference uh, to the thief of the night because he says we're not of the night. We're not, it's not going to deceive. Noah was not deceived. He was not like, oh, honey, it's raining. It didn't shock him. And so when Paul says and uses the thief in the night comparison, he says we are of the day. We are of the light. It's not going to surprise us when Jesus comes. But it is going to surprise those who have scoffed, who have walked after their own lust, saying, oh, yeah, where's the promise of his coming? You Christians keep preaching it. Well, guess what? I'm going to keep preaching it. <laughs> you know, Ma, I'm getting older. I turned 50 this year. I'm starting to get a don't care spirit sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm telling you. Watch this, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. But now watch this, verse 11. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Do you see the pitched within and without? Repentance in verse 9, that's salvation leading to the new birth, pitched outside. That's the, the holiness. That's the, the holy conversation and godliness. I want to be ready when he comes. Looking for and hasting unto the coming day of our God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. He's comparing this. When, when they got off the ark, it was a whole new planet. It was a whole new earth. And after Jesus comes, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. Hear me. There's been a lot of things in my life that I've wanted to achieve, wanted to do. But the number one thing I want to hear is Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. If I never make it to an Alaskan cruise, that's okay. If I never sleep in the Lincoln bedroom at the White House, that's okay. If I never hold a million dollars in my hand, that's okay. But if I don't hear Jesus say, well done, that's not okay. Okay. Jesus is coming. And let me also say this. While there is a coming day of the Lord in which the saints will rise, the dead in Christ first, we which are alive remain. None of us are promised tomorrow. And so, all of us need to be ready that if our days are numbered, Psalm 90, 12, God's numbered our days, that we're ready. That if today is the last day I walk this earth, that I walk it in 
uprightness to the Lord, ready to see him. Jesus is coming. Get on the ark. Oh, God. Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. By the way, none of that's necessarily wrong except when God's not the center of it. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And look at verse 39. And knew not. How did they not know? It's because they chose to ignore the truth. That's why Peter said they were willfully ignorant of. I imagine maybe the first day Noah's preaching... Well, there might be something to this, but then a week goes by, and then a month, and then a year. I don't know how long it took him to build the ark. It says while the ark was a preparing, some think that means it took all 120 years. I've heard some lobby that with a skill set of that day, based upon history, it might have been five or ten years. I don't, I don't really have a dog in a fight. I really don't care. But however long it took, at some point, Brother Mario, they quit caring. Oh, that's just Noah. Oh, he finally finished it. Wow. It was pretty good, but as if it's going to rain. Sure. And that's what's happening in our society. I don't want to be like that to where the cares of this life are more important to me than the coming of Jesus. I don't want to have my bucket list and be like Lot, uh, Lot's wife, and turn back and, oh, what am I missing? Oh, no. When Jesus comes, <laughs> take this whole world, but give me Jesus. There's a joke. goes this fella, he, uh, <clears throat> angel came to him and says, you're going to die tonight. The Lord just wanted me to tell you, you've been a good man. That's, that's nice. He says, uh, just want to prepare you. And he, okay. And so the man says to the angel, he says, can I bring something with me? The angel said, well, I mean, you're going to heaven. I mean, <laughs> that's eternal. This is temporal, but I'll check with the big guy, you know. So he calls Jesus on his cell phone, I guess, you know. 777, I don't know. Hey, do you mind if this guy brings something? Yeah, that's okay. So he said, I want to bring a bar of gold. And here's the joke. The angel said, you want to bring pavement? The Bible says there are streets of gold, you know, right? Okay. You want to bring pavement? Here's my point. What in this life compares to eternity? Thank you. Nothing. And, and, and those that might think, well, what about my family? Guess what? We're the family of God. We're going to see each other there and enjoy eternity together. Just in an eternal sense. As we sang about earlier, no more pain, no more sorrow. 
Now there will be no more appointments we have to worry about. There will be no more anxiety, worrying, is everything going to be okay? So can I ask again? Temporal, eternal, this world or that world, is there really a comparison? And so here's what I have to do in my heart. I want to be ready. I want to make sure that I don't have ought against my brother. I want to make sure that everything is good and that I've repented if I need to repent and, and that we're on the same page. And, and if, I, if I've offended, that everything is good and, and we've, we've, I've made restitution and, and I'm ready to go. Get ready. Jesus is coming. When I was growing up, there was a preacher, it was a Simpson. In his 80s, and that guy would get to preaching, and he would do a karate kick, wow, like this. And I'm like, man, You'd get all excited. Well, he had called around to the churches he had preached at. He was an evangelist, itinerant preacher, and said, can I come preach? I want to just preach. He took the scripture literally that means, oh, no, man, anything, and he wanted to make sure that he had not borrowed any money from anybody or that he had not offended anybody and he would go and he would preach a message and he would say to the pastor he would say to the saints if I've offended you please I want to be right with God our church happened to be the last church he was preaching in and he got done preaching that message and he grabbed the pulpit had a heart attack and died what a way to go <laughs> you know but he had made his peace with everyone he had, he had took that scripture literally. He didn't know when Jesus was coming for him, and he wanted to make sure that if it was now, that he was going to be ready. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I hope to God none of you are going to experience what I'm talking about here in the next 24 or 48 or even however many more days or years. But here's what I want to tell you. It's time to be ready. God, for a, this whole week, has been putting it upon my spirit to tell the church, get ready. I'm coming. Make sure your house is in order. Make sure there's no gossiping. Make sure there's no tail-bearing. Make sure there's no sin. Make sure there's nothing hidden within your heart that's keeping you from God. God and keeping you from hearing him say, well done. Jesus is coming. Huh. Oh. I can hear Noah now. It's going to rain. The flood's coming. Get on the ark. I can hear Jesus saying, get ready. I'm coming for a bride. Five wise and five foolish virgins. Musicians, please come. That they were virgins indicates they were part of the right church. They believed the right message. The purity, the, the essence of that word indicating the purity, the holiness. They were a part of the bridal party. Literally, Jesus was borrowing from the custom of that day where they were bridesmaids. But the Bible says five were wise, five were foolish. However, the Bible also says all of them slept, even the wise. And when the sound came forth, behold, the bridegroom cometh. They all woke up from their slumber. And five of them realized, hey, we don't have any oil. We have a lamp, but no oil. And they said to the five, why? Hey, can we borrow some of yours? Can I tell you, you can't live off of my relationship with God 
No more than I can live off of yours. I needed the Holy Ghost for myself, as do you. And so what this tells me is these five foolish were satisfied with the lamp. I go to church. I read my Bible. I even bring it to church, and it's not just on my phone. But there was no oil. They couldn't light that lamp. And when the call went forth, they had to go to try to find a place to get it. And if we're drawing that comparison, they had to go back to church to try to repent, but it was too late. Can I tell you, don't be satisfied with coming to church and checking the box. I'm here today. I put my offering in today. I read my Bible today. I prayed today. And be satisfied with the lamp, but not having any oil in it. And here's the altar appeal today as we stand. Pray like David, search me, O God. Know my thoughts and the intents of my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Who will pray that today? And before you leave this building, will say, God, I want to be right with you. I want to be right with my brothers and sisters. There's already one who's found his way to the altar. Is there others who will say, before I leave, I'm going to get right with God. Before I leave, I'm going to look inwardly. Before I leave today, I'm going to make sure that if Jesus comes for me, I'm ready to go. Get on the ark. Jesus is coming. The door's still open. He's not closed the door yet. Trumpet hasn't sounded yet. Grace is still available. But when that trumpet sounds, grace will no longer be available. I want to be ready. As the praise team sings, can we just turn this whole sanctuary into a prayer room? Those of you joining us online, can you find a place in your living room or wherever you may be to say, God, I want to be right. I'm going to turn this couch into an altar. I'm going to turn this chair into an altar. If you're listening to this later on the podcast or, or watching it, to take a moment to say, God, I'm going to build an altar and make sure I'm okay.